0: Hey everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Vetfolio Voice. Some of you may remember that a few months back, we released a very cool episode that we recorded at VMX, where we asked veterinarians attending VMX to sit down with us in our podcast booth, affectionately known as the fishbowl, and tell us their stories. Well, what you may not know is at the same time I was sitting down with these veterinarians, our very own Vetfolio staff CVT, Sam Sacasa, was doing the same type of interviews with veterinary technicians. And as you can imagine, they had some pretty incredible things to say. So I'm going to step away from the microphone for a minute and hand it off to Sam to introduce another Community Stories episode A style that is so quickly becoming one of my favorite types of interviews. So Sam, welcome back to the podcast. You're kind of in the driver's seat again. This is exciting. Uh, We both sat down at VMX and uh, I I sat down and interviewed some veterinarians and you were able to track down some veterinary technicians and talk to them about some of their stories. I did. It was so fun. Uh, It was very man on
1: the street. We just sort of looked for those color coded technician tags and grabbed people and, and it was great. It was very cool. It reminded me of just um, growing up, watching television and seeing those sort of on the fly interviews. And so the fact that I got to do
0: something like that was was really fun for me. Absolutely. I love a lot of the responses that we got because when you have this, like you said, man on the street style interview and, you know, people, they don't know that you're going to even stop them, let alone what the question's going to be. I feel like we get some really genuine answers that... Um, I don't know. I I felt like at least with my experience doing this, it really made me reflect on my own experiences as a veterinarian. I agree. And I think genuine is a really great way to describe it because, um, yes, you
1: don't have a lot of time to prepare. Maybe it didn't sound, you know, as perfect as a person may have wanted it to, but you do get really, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And you, you get these answers that I found to be really relatable. I'm like, yes, I totally get that. I feel that way too. Or, you know, maybe if it was something like I didn't really, you know, like I don't like dentistry and a lot of people do. I know you're a big fan. Um, (laughs) that I'm like, okay, I don't get that. But I know a lot of people that do. So yeah, I just found it really relatable and fun and I loved hearing everybody, you know, get to be candid for a moment. Wonderful, well, what do you think? Should we go ahead and meet everybody? Let's do it. Let's meet my, my panel of technicians.
2: My name is Amanda. And where are you from, Amanda? I'm from Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana. Oh, and yeah. what do you do there? Um, I work as a registered veterinary technician in an emergency hospital. So what's your name? My name is Michaela
3: Alba. And where are you from, Michaela? I'm from Tampa, Florida. And what do you do there? So I am a senior veterinary technician at Caramel Hospital but I also do academics at a local high school called Tampa Bay Tech High School in their vet assisting program.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I always say that education is a great work field for veterinary technicians. Oh, absolutely love it. So what's your name? Brittany. And where are you from, Brittany? Uh, Gainesville, work at the University
4: of Florida. What do you do there? I work in the emergency department. My name's Jessie. And where are you from? I'm from Orlando, Florida. And (laughs) what do you do in Orlando? I'm a vet tech. Emily Gadlinski. I am actually a nurse tech student, um, so I dabble in a little bit of
3: everything and do my schoolwork on the side. Jessica, Jessica Boone, uh, veterinary technician. So just in regular general practice right now, we're private practice. Best part is going into dental surgery.
0: Well, look at that fellow Tampa resident, just like you, and then a Gainesville resident up here. Um, I will admit, after I listened to your interview, I went up and looked if I knew this, this Brittany individual from the University of Florida. And unfortunately, we have not crossed paths, but I thought that was really interesting that there was somebody that you were talking to that was from Tampa like you and somebody from Gainesville like me. Yep. And I actually knew the person from Tampa, her and I, what?
1: yes, she um, externed where at the shelter I used to work at for years. Um, and we kind of have the same circle of friends. So it's just funny. I feel like BMX is just a small world. I always see tons yeah. of people I know, but the fact that we actually found her to interview, I just thought was so fun.
0: No kidding. Like you said, VMX is a small world. And then, I mean, veterinary medicine in general is a small world. That's awesome really that is. you found somebody where you'd crossed paths before. Yeah, one of the first questions I asked them was actually about
1: self-care because that is just something I'm a huge proponent of and I got some really great responses.
3: Ooh, that is a good one. So I am into fitness, definitely running. Yes. Running, um, kind of crossfit training, but if I don't like get like at least like some little bit of like work or exercise in like I could feel myself starting to get agitated weird so I definitely have that. How do you practice self-care?
5: <laughs> uh, not. I don't do the best at this uh, <laughs> but generally it's doing things outside, uh, whether it be with my animals or paddleboarding, scuba diving, anything that gets me out and about and moving is generally my thing.
4: How do you practice self-care? I work full time, I do have two kids and so it's constant, constant so I try to take time to like just take time by myself like I know I've done massages and like just you know, you know get away for a, a few minutes
1: I loved hearing their answers I was actually a little jealous of the one who likes to run and if she goes a few days without running, misses it I wish that I felt that way about running I don't but I, I hear you But I did find a lot of what they said really relatable. I think that a lot of, you know, veterinary professionals um, do tend to work indoors, right? And we don't get a lot of natural light throughout the day. So um, the technician who said that she likes to spend time outdoors, I was like, yes, I can see that being a much needed way to have some self-care
0: because unless you work at a, you know, at a zoo or something like that, a lot of us are indoors a lot. Yeah. Fluorescent lighting isn't really doing much for our uh, vitamin D levels. Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. I was kind of like laughing to myself with, um, I, I agree with you about the technician who said she liked to run um, because yes, I'm, I'm the same. Like I, you know, I do enjoy exercise, but I'm not maybe quite as disciplined as as I'd like to be in that arena. I'm always reminded of that scene in how I met your mother where like they all go to the gym in that one episode. And then at the end, they're like, yeah. And if I don't go for a day or two, I miss it. And then it ends and they're like, and we never went to the gym again. And I'm like, that's me. (laughs) I've had that experience Multiple times in my life, yes, where you just skip Same. a day
1: or two and then you just stop going.
0: Yeah, and then you're like, Oh, I miss it, except I'm never going back. <laughs> but I agree. A lot that a lot was there to kinda relate to with um absolutely like going outside. I love being outside. That is that is absolutely my happy place. And really I think the one where I was like, Yes, I totally get that was um the the person who said a mom of two kids and working full time. So just whatever couple of minutes she can find here and there to get away. And, you know, it wasn't something specific. It wasn't something really regimented. It was just wherever I can find a couple minutes to myself, I, you know, try to make the most of those. And I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. I can relate to that too. You know, I also have kids and, um, and yeah,
1: sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take a few minutes for me. And like you said, you may not have a plan for it, but, um, but this is going to be me time and absolutely, I, yeah, it's important, I think to sort of have those, I guess, boundaries and I think that if you talk to your kids about it, that they really get it and want you to have it too. I've noticed that. I had a conversation with my daughter not too long ago, where I was like, for me to be, you know the best mom I can be and you know, the best person I can be, sometimes I just need to recharge my batteries a little bit. And then I found that she was making it important too. Like, oh, mom, I think you need to recharge your batteries. So I think that um, it's not the easiest thing when you're a mom, but that it's definitely doable.
0: I love that just like open conversation with her That and, and her response to that. Like, you know, you're just raising such a considerate person there to say, hey, you know, you're looking a little stressed out. Why don't you take a little bit of time for yourself? And, you know, really recognizing that, any, any relationship is kind of a give and take and we all have to take a little bit of time for ourselves and, and everybody being okay with that, being okay with that as a mom to take some time for yourself. And then, like you said, talking to your daughter and explaining it so that she, she's okay with it and even encouraging of it. That's what a, what a great story. I'm so glad you shared that, Sam. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I think that, that all kids are probably capable
1: of that because, um, They want that responsibility of like, okay, I can, I can be in charge of something. I can, I can kind of handle this. So if mom says that she needs it, I'm going to see that she gets it. So I almost feel like, um, sometimes kids are even a little better about, you know, giving that than adults are maybe. So yeah. Kids Kids are better at a lot of things
0: than adults are. (laughs) I know. Yes. (laughs) And Sam, I have to ask about your uh, your self care here. Your your background is blurred, so I can't see really well. But every now and again, I feel like you have a Zen garden rake in your hand.
1: Oh, stop it! Yes,
0: I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I was like, "Are you Zen gardening while we're while we're podcasting?" Here? I am. I do it. Oh like- my
1: gosh, <laughs> I do it all the time. For the longest time, my thing when we would have meetings would be Play-Doh. Um, oh, but my okay. kids don't play with Play-Doh that much anymore. So I got a Zen garden not too long ago, and yeah, that's one of my little my little keep my hands busy and it helps me
0: relax throughout the day. I love it. It's so smart. Cause yeah, it gives you something to do with, I could see Play-Doh being really helpful too. Yeah. I loved the Play-Doh, but maybe one day I'll just
1: buy it <laughs> for myself. But since it there hasn't been in a house recently, I just kind of moved on to something else, but I am really enjoying my garden.
0: I can bring you five containers where all the colors have been mixed together. Oh, I love mixing the colors. That's, I'm not <laughs> so bothered my by kid. that at all. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So one of the things that I love about veterinary medicine is, of course, that it's so dynamic. There's so many different things you can do. I think a lot of us have maybe the misconception when we first start, like, okay, I'll probably just end up in a general practice. And then your eyes kind of open to a lot of other opportunities and cool things that you can do. So one of the things that I asked the technicians was what part of veterinary medicine do they love and maybe don't love working in, because I just love hearing how people get to sort of take parts of their personality. Like maybe if you're an adrenaline junkie, you love emergency medicine or seeing how that translates into their career paths. What type of medicine do you love working in and what type of medicine do you have no desire to work in?
4: I love doing rooms. So, like, I like interacting with uh, the owners and like educating them. And I kind of like skin a lot. Um, like the emergency medicine kind of makes me a little nervous, so okay, okay. yeah, it tends to stress me out a little bit. So I like I like to stay in the rooms and educate the clients and, and be there for them. Uh
1: oh, I love that because I feel like a lot of people think that veterinary technicians aren't people people, and I feel like a lot of us are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I
5: enjoy emergency medicine, it's, I guess least favorite would probably be like, internal medicine nice. things, okay. if that makes Wait. sense, yeah. <laughs> it does. Like um, I enjoy, because of what I do, I work in the emergency department, so I do see the sickest of the sick, and I think seeing those really ill animals get to go home back to their people is what provides me the most
2: joy, so.
1: I love that. It yeah. is such a rewarding job. Yeah.
2: So emergency is really my jam. I love emergency. I love the fact that you don't know what's going to come running through the door. Um and then what I wouldn't want to work in is probably um orthopedics or dentistry. <laughs> I don't like it at dentistry. Either. Nope. <laughs> I can totally uh I understand go the reason back. for it and there's definitely the people who love it, just not me. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that was there was some definite variation in those answers there. I mean, rooms and skin is very different from emergency medicine, but a couple of votes there for emergency medicine. Yeah, absolutely. That was funny. Um, I like
1: emergency medicine. I I did a lot of emergency relief. But I will say that emergency technicians, they're super smart. I mean, we're all, you know, of course, intelligent in our own right. But, um, but yeah, I'm like, I can't always claim feel like I can claim like I did emergency medicine, because there are just so many scenarios that they're totally prepared for that. it's, It's just amazing all the experience that they get over time and um, like the versatility that they have as technicians
0: I don't know I think I think if you did emergency medicine you can say you did emergency <laughs> medicine I know when I jumped in um, so I I worked at um, I worked in general practice for a little while but honestly like I my attention was so split between school and what I was doing that I don't feel like I ever really wrapped my head around what I was doing when I first started in general practice. Um, but then I went into emergency medicine and that was where I really kind of got my foothold and started to understand medicine and and realize this is what I wanted to do for me being in the ER, at least at that point in my, in, in where I was, which I was working as, um, as an assistant, at the university, it was all about the doctor that I had on board. So, emergency medicine ended up being something that I really loved because I worked under um, Karsten Bant, who was just—I he's just still my hero when it comes to emergency medicine. He could keep his cool no matter what came in the door, um, and then some other, you know, just really fantastic doctors that I was working with, and. If I feel like in that capacity, um, you're absolutely right. The technicians that routinely work in emergency medicine will just save your butt because they just know what they're doing and they can jump in and, and, you know, stay calm and, and know what to do. But even if, you know, maybe you're a little bit newer and you don't have all that experience, for me, I felt like as long as I had a doctor there who could keep their cool and give instructions matter-of-factly, I could do the technical work. I just couldn't always anticipate it because I didn't have that experience. So I try to keep that in mind when I'm dealing with emergencies now as the doctor, which it's a little harder to keep your cool (laughs) as the doctor, like at least for me it is. Um, And, but I try to remember that, that if I'm Working with somebody who maybe can't anticipate all the things that we're going to need because they haven't seen these cases as many times that if I can keep my cool and I can give directions in a way that doesn't make everybody frantic, we're going to have a lot better chance of success and everybody's going to have a better experience in this scenario.
1: Yeah, I think you make an excellent point um, about how important it is that that person that's sort of leading the charge is cool and collected and also just about like mentorship in general and how much that yields to um, a veterinary professional being successful in any part of the field, right? Like an emergency where it can be very sink or swim, like you need people around that are willing to teach you things and debrief with you afterwards. And I'm glad that you had
0: that. That's awesome. Yes, I think it makes a world of difference. And that's probably true in any aspect of medicine. Absolutely. So- The person who said that she really likes rooms and derm, like uh, client education and client communication, like those uh, and dermatology, oh my gosh, the follow-up that can go into those cases, that's not the easiest thing in the world. So if you have the mentorship and you have the training and you have the support to be able to deliver that information correctly and confidently, and somebody who's going to back you up in that, you know, it just makes all the difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with that too. Um, Working in shelter medicine, I didn't have a ton of opportunities to talk to clients. And then once I switched over to GP, I realized that that was something I was sort of missing and that I ended up really enjoying it. So yeah, I can see where where that can be something that a person um, sort of identifies with as a niche that they really like because... I felt that way too. Once I started interacting with owners on a regular basis, I was like, this is great. Like, I don't know. It was just a new way of making a difference and it felt just as valid and satisfying.
0: You know, and as we're reflecting here, I think this applies not only to working, you know, maybe working with a, a certain type of doctor as a technician or or this scenario specifically, because it applies as a veterinarian too, where if somebody teaches you how to do something and you don't feel like, I'm having to figure this out on my own and maybe I figured it out correctly. I don't know. It worked, but is that really the right thing I'm (laughs) supposed to be doing? It's a lot more fun when you have that extra layer of confidence. And I'm sure this extends beyond veterinary medicine, too. If you have somebody who can, like you said, the the value of that mentorship, someone who can hold your hand and say, this is how you do it. This is what you need to look for. This is what you need to be aware of and give you that base level of, of knowledge that you need to continue to learn and do better in that arena. it's it's gonna make it so much more enjoyable and sustainable and something that you want to keep doing.
1: So speaking of mentoring technicians that are new to the field I also asked the technicians what advice they would give new technicians and this is what they had to say.
2: What advice would you give a technician entering the field? I would recommend entering in general practice um, get a few months out of, under your belt, six months to a year, and then if you really want to move into emergency medicine, that's the perfect time to do it. I've seen a lot of new baby technicians come in, jump into emergency or ICU critical care medicine, and it's overwhelming. And they fizzle, and I don't want to. I want them to grow, and I want them to do well. Uh, my
5: best advice would probably don't give up. Uh, It is not easy. It is a challenging thing, but it is so rewarding. Uh, So I would say just don't give up, regardless of what is in your way. Just keep fighting, and it's worth it.
3: What advice would you give a veterinary technician entering the field? Don't let the burnout kind of get you down. There's a lot of times that you're not going to be able to be successful in that case, and sometimes it kind of really gets you down if the client ends up not being cooperative or coming back. um, It can create a lot of burnout, so just be optimistic. Oh, I love that.
1: So I love all that advice. I think that people were really thinking about what can we do to make this field more sustainable right from the beginning. And I love the thought of like, okay, don't put too much of on yourself right at the beginning. You know, if, If you're not ready to work with these, you know, really sick ECC patients, then don't throw yourself into that arena or, you know, don't give up just because cases don't go your way. Because I do think, you know, of course, when you have those days where, you know, you make mistakes or cases don't go the way you want them to, it can be demoralizing. So I love that they, it seems like everybody really just took a moment to say, hey, this, you know, this job is hard, but you know, stick with it and kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. I thought that was really cool.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I was honestly a little bit, um, you know, when I heard like, don't don't let the burnout get you down, you know, stick with it because it's really hard, but you'll come through went, Man, like, I don't, I don't want people to, f-, you know, and, and talk about fizzling and things like that. Yeah. I'm going, man, I certainly don't want the technicians that I'm working with to feel like okay, I just got to stick it out. You know, like I, I want this to be a sustainable and a fun career, albeit a very challenging one. There's, I don't think there's any changing that. Sure. So I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with mentorship um, and more along the lines of, Really finding your niche and finding the right fit. Um, kind of like our first person said if emergency medicine isn't, if you're not ready for it, don't start there. And if right. you get into it and you find out y- it's not for you and you want to do something different, then then go do something different and because it, it is a really dynamic field. There's so many opportunities. And then also, if you don't, if you don't feel like you're getting the mentoring and the support that you need and you feel like you're you're fizzling to use our our first answer's words then there's hopefully I w- I would imagine there's another fit out there for you. Keep looking until you find the support and you find that mentorship you're going to need. We've really emphasized here how important that is and how really Working together and supporting each other is what's going to help that that turnover and people leaving the field we're seeing.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I do think, of course, having great mentors and mentorship programs is so important. Creating a great workplace culture is so important. But, like you said, also just having the courage to look within and make those changes, right? Because maybe, you know, this one particular place was where you had all of your, um, you know, externships and you kind of told them, hey, I'm going to come work here. And, and you feel like this is where you're meant to be. But then if you Doing that, and you're realizing I'm not really happy here. Um, being able to take that leap of faith and trying something new, like I'm so, I'm so glad that I branched out into education when I did. That I tried different things, and I think that is a great takeaway. Is that if something's not feeling right, it doesn't mean
0: that being a veterinary technician is not for you. Um, maybe you just need to try something new. Sure. And. I definitely want to circle back around and talk about the importance of communication because because if the hospital that you're working for, whatever organization, whether it's hospital education or, you know, whatever field you fall into, if they're not aware that you don't feel like you're getting the support and the training that you need or that you're not clear on something, then they're probably not going to do anything to make it better either that's for true. you or for the people who come after you if you ultimately decide that's not a good fit so if you if you feel safe and you feel like you're in and a receptive environment, there's also nothing wrong with trying to implement that change, trying to be that change and say, hey, this is something that's really making it hard for me to continue to show up and do my job every day. So here's what my proposal is to make that better and to try and and try to improve things. And I think depending on the environment, there's probably a a lot of places that would be really receptive to Mm -hmm. somebody who showed up with suggestions and solutions and said, hey, I, I think we can make this better. I agree with that. And yeah, I would say that is something I've learned over the years. I wish I would
1: have embraced that when I was a little younger. It took me till I was in my late thirties to really start feeling like, yeah, that I could advocate for myself and have those conversations. And, um, yeah, I think telling people when they're new
0: to the profession, at whatever age they are to do that is really great advice. And I'm the same as you. It's easy for me to also sit here in my late 30s and and (laughs) say these things. But um, early 20s, Cassie might not have have taken to that quite as quickly. I know. But if you had somebody around to tell you,
1: hey, this is okay," then maybe you would have. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a lesson that I'm happy that I learned and that I do think needs to be passed around for sure. I also asked the technicians to share their most memorable stories um, which unfortunately aren't always the most cheerful but I think a lot of us can relate to those stories where they just sort of tug at your heartstrings and stay with you forever.
2: What's a really memorable case that you've worked on? One that always jumps into my mind is uh, we work pretty consistently with the local police department and we had a case where one of their newer um, police dogs was running and playing and she ran into the road and got hit by a car. She came in, and our entire hospital jumped in as a team, and we were able to. She had to have stabilization, and then multiple surgeries, and we were able to get her home. Um, she was in the hospital for about two weeks. Oh my um, she had multiple orthopedic surgeries back and forth, but we got her home, and it was a good. It was amazing for our hospital, and amazing for the community. What's a really memorable case that you worked on?
4: Um, it was more memorable um, and sad outcome but we had a three-year-old mixed breed neutered male come in Uh, he had aggression it was progressive aggression towards everybody Um, we ended up doing a whole necropsy there in clinic and we actually found that he had multiple tumors on his brain so we did get to do the whole open the skull view the brain Um, so i guess that part was actually really interesting as far as a learning perspective sure. with a sad outcome
3: but oh,
1: I don't know. that's that's i'd say most memorable yeah that's memorable for sure yeah
3: i would have to say probably the most memorable case is that we had this sharp dog and everybody knows that sharpays are typically the poster children of being bad let's be real like every time you see a sharp come in you're like oh, crap let me go get the muzzle mm-hmm. um but i can't tell you I actually had one and he his name was like spook or something like so cute and he literally had um osteosarcoma and the owner did everything and he was the best perfect dog we absolutely loved him and it was just like so and the owner went above and beyond you know and we we also kind of knew too like you know, with financial restraints, and that always like gets on our heartstrings too, because you know we want to help every dog, and we know that you know the owners want to help every dog, but like you know, it's at some point, like you know, at what cost, you know, and we have to have those hard conversations. But she still kept pushing through, pushing through, and the port, like the dog, literally its quality of life was even more than like the oncologist said. Like it was just like above and beyond and he was like the perfect like patient that we ever had. So oh, he like that. is still like in my heart and I just love him so much. You always remember I it. know, oh, awesome yes. Story. He actually popped up on my like Snapchat story and I was like, oh, spook. Oh. Oh.
0: Well, Sam, what's one of your most memorable cases?
1: So um, I know I've mentioned this one to you before, but Bella, who was a dog that was, that she came to the shelter because of an abuse investigation and she was in really rough shape. She had second to third degree burns, like all throughout her left side of her body. And um, she was such a good girl and we decided to take a chance and really just try to save her and mitigate her pain and we figured it out. And, um, and she ended up going to a wonderful home and flourishing. And that was a case that will always stick with me. Um, and then there's of course a lot of funny ones. Like I know one of the technicians mentioned sometimes they're just so funny. Like, I feel like a lot of those foreign body (laughs) cases are pretty funny.
0: (laughs) Um, so some of those always kind of stick out to me too. Like the things you find in there. (laughs) Uh, yes, actually, now that you say that, um, I don't know. Can I tell this story on the podcast? There was a foreign body surgery I did. It was like this sweet boxer mix. And she, she went to surgery. We saw a foreign body on the x-ray. It looked like it was linear. Um, so we went in, we cut her. Sure enough, we found it in the small intestine and took it out. And this owner, she was just the sweetest. She was, you know, we were probably about the same age and she was really down to earth, took great care of her dogs. We had wonderful conversations. So that phone call afterwards was really funny where I called her and I was like, so like these black lacy Victoria's Secret (gasps) underpants and I was like, they're real cute. Not as much anymore. And she's like, oh my gosh, I was missing those. I'm like, well, I found them. And she's like, okay, you can throw them away. I'm like, okay, that's a good idea. And that dog did great afterwards. But yeah, we always had this like funny story to relate to.
1: So yes, dogs can be knuckleheads, but we all love them. So another question that I asked my technicians was whether or not they were cat or dog people, because even though I think all of us love both cats and dogs, I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we do have a favorite, and this is what they had to say. Cat or dog person? Oh,
4: if I had to pick, it would be dog. Okay, why? I can cuddle with them a little bit more. My cats are more of a, they'll cuddle me on their own time. Cat
1: or dog person? A dog, mostly. Cats are a lot more difficult to handle in a practice.
2: (laughs) They can be, for sure. Cat or dog person? Gut tells me I'm a cat person. I'm a cat person, too. (laughs) I love both. Yes. (laughs) I think it's, I I have both cats and dogs, but I don't have to worry about my cats as much when I go out of town. (laughs) Yeah, I know, that's nice. Yeah. So I'm more of a dog person. My husband's the cat person.
4: Okay. uh, So I do have a dog and a cat. (laughs)
1: Okay, so I think there were a little more dog people, but it seemed like it was it was pretty evenly split. Um, I'm personally a cat person. I come from a long line of crazy cat ladies, <laughs> so I think I was just raised into being a cat person. I love their little primal natures and watching them sort of, I don't know. Dogs are very human-like, and I like that cats are just, they remind me of just a wild cat, and I love it.
0: They're aliens. They're aliens is what they are. Yes. And they are the most advanced species on the planet. I know I've said this before, like what other animal just moves in and just like shows up and is like, I'm moving in. We're like, okay, what kind of food do you like? And, and go get them a litter box and a bed. And we're like, I guess you live here now. It's, it's amazing.
1: So the last question that I asked the technicians was where do they feel like they really excel in the field? Because. I just think it's really important to pat yourself on the back sometimes, and I wanted to give them all the opportunity to do that, and this is what they had to say.
3: Where do you feel like you really excel as a technician? Just being that second hand for the doctor, trying to anticipate whatever my doctor needs, that's what I think I pretty much excel on, just kind of get used to each doctor in the practice and what they need next. What do you feel like you really excel at as a technician? I guess I'm a little biased about, it, but like definitely education wise. Like I love client education. I love teaching like our new assistants that come in, the technicians, just all like the standard, you know, operating procedures, everything from day to day, and even like trying to improve and enhance like their skills and my skills.
1: So I love that you're passionate about education. I think that's really important in this
3: field because we need to mentor younger vet techs so that there's not so much attrition. Yes, 100%, just like keeping that like stability and just keeping everything like, just trying to make it better than the best. I always like tell my students like we want to be that like that education we want to have it or we want to have that medicine everything just better just have it better than that best in that. I love that. Where do you feel
1: you really excel as a
4: technician? Client communication when it comes to dermatology subjects.
1: I love that, that is so important, because it's such an overwhelming condition to have. Yes, and it's lifelong, and a lot
4: of times, owners don't realize what they're getting into, um, and I have a derm dog myself, so I, I feel like I could relate to them, and relate to the struggles and the frustrations, so that, I, I like that.
0: A lot of client communication and education. I, I feel like it was pretty across the board. That was interesting. Yeah, and that's something that I think
1: we always say is a big part of the technician's role. And so to hear that um, that they're really embracing that, I think is so cool.
0: I think. Do you think that plays a role in why they are thriving in the field? Is because they really enjoy those aspects of the job, which are are so critical in a lot of different scenarios?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because think about like, if you felt like you really didn't enjoy talking to owners or educating owners, or, you know, um, if that was something that was annoying or frustrating, then every day would sort of be annoying and frustrating. So of course, you're always going to have those moments. But yeah, I think sort of embracing that, yes, I know a lot about this. And yes, I'm going to impart this knowledge onto these owners um, is really powerful.
0: It kind of makes me think, too, of our role as the veterinarian to really empower our technicians that we're working with to say not only – To empower that education and say, yes, you do know what you're talking about. I have confidence in you that you can explain this and and understand it well, but also to impart that confidence to owners and say, I'm going to let you talk to so-and-so for a little while and, you know, he or she can explain it just as well as I can. The technician can really embrace that as as part of their role and...
1: Definitely have like the veterinarian support. And then in turn, you're also helping that owner's bond with their pet because they're capable of it too, you know, and helping them understand these conditions and making sure when they go out the door that they feel good about it is really making a big difference in that owner's life and in that animal's life.
0: Absolutely. And I also appreciated the person who said she felt like her strength was anticipating the doctor's needs. Uh, That makes me, yes, me too. That makes me so happy that that was an area that she felt like was important because of course, I always appreciate somebody who can see what's coming and, you know, anticipate where I'm going to go with things, but I don't want to put that as a burden on someone else. So to hear, you know, somebody say, actually, I really excel at this and I enjoy it was very refreshing to me to hear. I went, oh good, maybe I'm not just like burdening the the people around me. But also when we talk about anticipation in the context of client communication, my brain sometimes when I'm explaining something to a, a client, to a pet owner, will go down all these different rabbit holes of like, and then this and then this and then and connect all these different dots that really don't need to come up in that conversation that we're having at that exact moment. But then you know my brain goes like, but should I leave it out? Cause what if it happens later? And then they'll be like, why didn't you explain this? But you knew it beforehand and all this. And and I I have certain technicians that I work with that can see when my brain starts to go down that rabbit hole and I start to go here, here, and here. And it's almost like they see it behind my eyes and then start to go, okay, I'm going to jump in here and and make this like a more understandable conversation before she goes way off the deep end. And I really appreciate that.
1: I love that. And I definitely think you are not burdening your technicians because I think so many of us thrive (laughs) in that teamwork environment of like, we're just going to save animals today and work together. Um, And I think that's part of what makes the job really enjoyable some days.
0: Yes. Agreed. Agreed. That team is just, I mean, that's what gets you out of bed in the morning and, and has you come to work, whether it's, you know, your team as, um, as your veterinarians and your technicians and your assistants and, and, you know, your whole team in the hospital, um, but also including pet owners in that, like, and, and I think that's where that communication and education really comes into play of we can, we can make everybody who walks in that door a part of our team.
1: Well, that was so much fun. I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to talk to these technicians Again, I think so much of what they said was so relatable and so important to what keeps us doing what we're doing and having a great time while we're doing it. So thank you, Dr. Cassie, for chatting with me today about everything. And I hope you all enjoyed what our technicians had to say.
0: All right, Sam, awesome job. I had so much fun breaking down this conversation with you. I loved listening to your insights on all these different topics. And of course, a big thank you to all of the veterinary technicians who participated in this episode for sharing their thoughts and experiences. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your insights on this talk, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm@vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.